Hello, everyone. I'm Gary Urbanowitz, your host for this Throwback FDNY podcast. Remember, you can listen to all of the past episodes of Throwback FDNY by going to the website of the New York City Fire Museum at nycfiremuseum.org slash throwbackfdny and choosing the digital platform you use for listening to podcasts. Each show has three segments going back in time about the FDNY and its history. Now, let's start this month's show. In this episode of Throwback FDNY, we venture back to the days of the Brooklyn Fire Department, starting in 1785 with Brooklyn getting its first fire engine. Then a devastating fire ravages one of the department's districts in 1848. And finally, the appointment of Thomas Nevins as chief of the Brooklyn Fire Department in 1870. An historic fact that few people know or may not remember is that the geographic profile of New York City as it is today didn't come into existence until 1898. Before that, what are now the five boroughs were then five distinct counties of New York State, each with many towns, villages, and in three cases, cities. One of them was the city of Brooklyn. And as in all inhabited areas where there are structures, there's the threat of fire. Dutch immigrants settled in Brooklyn in 1636. The area became a village in 1816 and a city in 1834. Much like their neighbors across the river, the early inhabitants responded to and fought fires with buckets, and ordinary citizens bore the responsibility to extinguish any blaze. But on April 7, 1772, following the lead of New York, the town appointed six individuals to be firemen. They were formed into a fire company in 1785 And at the same organizational meeting, it was decided to purchase a fire engine. For the sum of 150 English pounds, a hand-pumped, hand-drawn fire engine built by Jacob Room of New York City was purchased. Room was the first person to manufacture fire apparatus in the United States. All previous engines had been imported from England. In modern-day vernacular, it would seem inaccurate to call a device like this an engine since it was a simple, manually operated affair, but that's what all mechanical devices were called back then. It consisted of a wooden box measuring eight feet long, three feet wide, and two and one half feet high. It was capable of holding 180 gallons of water that was filled by the original bucket brigades who formed lines to the nearest well, cistern, or other water source. Getting it to a fire was no easy task. The engine was outfitted with a rope pulled by the firemen and whoever else would help move the cumbersome device with its crude wooden wheels over pothole dirt or cobblestone streets. Once there, eight men would pump the two handles, one on the front, the other on the rear of the engine, to propel the water. There were no hoses involved at the time. Rather, on top of the engine was a condenser, and on top of that was a six-foot-long pipe with a three-quarter-inch nozzle tip. All early fire engines of this configuration were known as gooseneck engines. It is said that when operated at maximum force, a stream of water could be thrown 60 feet making even this contraption an improvement over throwing the water on the fire with buckets. As the area grew, more engines were purchased and more firemen were appointed. On March 15, 1788, an act for the better extinguishment of fires in the town of Brooklyn, Kings County, was passed by the New York State Legislature, forming the Brooklyn Fire Department. This was, of course, a volunteer organization that existed until a paid department was formed in 1869 four years after New York City. On January 1st, 1898, 
the greater city of New York consolidated the fire departments of Long Island City and Brooklyn into the FDNY. Over the years, the numerous volunteer organizations in the five boroughs were gradually replaced by the FDNY. Today, nine volunteer fire departments continue to operate in New York City communities, one of which is still in Brooklyn. Hello everyone, I'm Jennifer Brown, the new executive director of the New York City Fire Museum. Thank you for listening to our Throwback FDNY podcast. We invite you to become a member of our wonderful cultural institution in Lower Manhattan. We preserve the history of the fire department in New York City, educate the public on fire and life safety, and celebrate the wonderful traditions of the FDNY. To learn more about our membership program and the perks it offers, go to nycfiremuseum.org. With any mention of a great fire in history, many people think of the Chicago Fire of 1871. After all, Fire Prevention Week is scheduled annually to commemorate the day that blaze began. But here in the New York area, we also experienced infernos that burned significant metropolitan areas, even if not as large as the Chicago Fire did. One such fire occurred in Brooklyn in 1848. On the evening of Saturday, September 8th, a fire broke out in the upholstery and furniture store of George Drew on Fulton Street. That building, as well as those around it, were constructed wholly of wood. The fire spread quickly and beyond control, even before the firefighters could respond, with accounts saying that the whole block was a, quote, sea of flame. In addition, a strong north wind forced flames to leap first across the street and then to many other buildings. At its conclusion, it fully destroyed the area bordered by Henry Street on the west, Washington Street on the east, Poplar Street to the north, and Concord Street to the south. In 1848, the Brooklyn Fire Department was comprised solely of volunteers, many of whose homes and families were being threatened by the conflagration. The department itself was comprised of 15 companies with an estimated 300 firefighters. That was nowhere near enough to battle this unprecedented fire, so assistance was called in from the neighboring cities of Williamsburg and New York. In fact, 20 engine companies crossed the East River from Manhattan. After the fire, the Brooklyn City Council voted to reimburse those two cities for such aid in the amounts of $300 and $100, respectively, about $11,000 and $3,600 today, quite a sum back then. In all, 200 structures, including three churches, were lost along with essentially all their contents, amounting to an estimated $1 million, equivalent to about $36 million today. Fortunately, no lives were lost, but many families were left destitute, and a committee was formed to raise funds to assist them. The most confounding fact of the fire was the lack of water. Since there weren't any fire hydrants in Brooklyn in 1848, water had to be drawn from cisterns and the river. As in all tragedies, lessons are learned and people are motivated to avoid a repeat. Numerous suggestions came from this fire to improve the supply of water, both for firefighting as well as for domestic use. This included the placement of a pumping engine on the heights, construction of a reservoir proposed for Prospect Hill, which was successfully completed in 1856, and finally, connecting the city of Brooklyn to the recently constructed Croton Aqueduct System that was supplying this vital natural resource to the city of New York. Just 10 days after the fire, another engine company was added to the Brooklyn Fire Department. It was wisely suggested that the reconstruction of the burnt district should be only comprised of brick buildings, with the hope that such a calamity would never come to fruition in the city of Brooklyn again.
the New York City Fire Museum shop offers a wide selection of museum souvenirs and FDNY licensed products. To acknowledge the 20th anniversary of the tragic events of September 11, 2001, and the 343 members of the FDNY who gave their lives that day, we are offering several commemorative items, including a Maltese cross decal and lapel pin, a 9-11 Memorial Challenge coin, and a beautiful high-quality 343 t-shirt. Proceeds from all sales help fulfill our mission to preserve, educate, and celebrate, and to remember the brave men and women of the FDNY, not just on September 11th, but every day. You can make purchases at the museum or online by visiting our website, www.nycfiremuseum.org forward slash shop. In episode eight of the Throwback FDNY podcast, we share the profile of Thomas Never Lose a Man Nevins, who was also in charge of the historic fire in the Brooklyn Theater, which you may also recall from a previous episode. But no discussion of the Brooklyn Fire Department is complete without Chief Nevins. Thomas Francis Nevins was born in Ireland in 1843 and moved to this country with his family, specifically to Brooklyn, as an infant. He was educated at Brooklyn Public School 13 and learned the trade of steam engineer in the establishment of John Jackson. Like so many young boys of his day, he was quite the fire buff or runner, as they were called back then, hanging out in the firehouse, helping the firefighters, and probably even helping pull the engine to fires. When he came of age, he joined Hope Host Company 9 of the Brooklyn Volunteer Fire Department, eventually rising to the rank of foreman, the equivalent of today's captain, and continued in that same capacity when Hope Host 9 became Engine 9, serving in that capacity for an additional five years. When the paid department was formed in 1869, Nevins was one of the volunteers that was hired. In fact, he was hired with the rank of district engineer, the equivalent of today's battalion chief. One year later, when Chief Engineer John Cunningham retired, Nevins took the reins at the head of the department. He was only 27 years old. Chief Nevins was one of the founders of the National Association of Fire Engineers and served as its first treasurer. Today, that organization is known as the International Association of Fire Chiefs. He was the chairman of the committee appointed to consider the adoption of a uniform size and pattern of hydrant and hose couplings. The necessity for this was demonstrated in the disastrous 1871 Chicago and 1872 Boston fires, when engines coming to the scene from neighboring towns were rendered useless because their hoses could not be connected to the local hydrants. As a result of the committee's report, a national standard for couplings was created and soon adopted by New York and Brooklyn and many other areas of the country. Chief Nevins retired on January 31, 1894, when a new mayor of Brooklyn took office. An article in the Brooklyn Daily Eagle described Nevins in the following way, quote, Thomas F. Nevins, as a fireman, has had no superior, and as a man of power and force, has few equals. If he had a reputation to make, he would be the best man for chief engineer of the United States. Had he remained in his post until the fire departments of the cities of New York and Brooklyn merged in 1898, he would most likely have been made the FDNY assistant chief in charge of Brooklyn as was his successor, Chief James Dale. Mr. Nevins was truly a multi-dimensional person whose legacy reaches far beyond the fire service. You see, after his retirement, he purchased large tracts of land on Merritt Island in Florida. There, he erected the Riverview Hotel, which was frequented by many of his Brooklyn and New York friends. He began to cultivate oranges and is credited with being the first person to export Florida oranges to the Northern States. The Nevins Fruit Company organized by him in 1898, 
is one of the oldest continuously operated citrus businesses in the country and is still in operation today. So anytime you bite into an orange, think of Chief of Department Thomas Nevins. And now it's time for our Throwback FTNY trivia segment. In each new episode of our podcast, we like to test your knowledge of the department by asking a question about a fact from our previous show. Here's this month's. What was the rank assigned to the first FDNY chaplains when they were appointed in 1899? The answer could be found in our last episode. And remember, you can listen to that and all of our previous episodes by going to nycfiremuseum.org slash throwbackfdny. The Throwback FDNY podcast is brought to you by the New York City Fire Museum, the official museum of the FDNY. With help from the FDNY and the FDNY Foundation, the official philanthropic organization of the department. I'm Gary Urbanowitz. I'll leave you with this important safety tip. Press the test button on your smoke and carbon monoxide detectors once a month. It only takes a few seconds of your time. Remember, only working smoke and CO detectors can save a life. So please, be sure you and your family are fully protected. We could all do our part to be a partner with the fire department by promoting fire safety. Thank you and be safe.